So it's our lunar observance evening. <coughs> I think it's April 12th. Is that right? 13, all right. I used to be very addicted to knowing the date and time, so I'm always proud of myself when I forget it, especially publicly. So it's a bit of a subdued evening. Uh, several of the ajans are, are gone. Mpurpasano <coughs> and Ajahn Kurundamo are uh, taking Rhoda along with uh, Debbie, uh, actually Debbie's taking all of them, um, to uh, for an, an evening away, uh, and uh, they'll be back tomorrow. And Ajahn Caspo and Ajahn Titipanyo have started, uh, I think they're, this will be the f possibly the first overnight unless I'm wrong, at Three Jewels without Metica there. So they'll be um, <coughs> making forays over there. And then the two of them, uh, they're, they're, they're currently with Anagarka Kevin, so actually the three of them will then, the plan is for them to spend the Vasa at Three Jewels in uh, Fort Bragg. So another branch monastery is born. And uh, we'll be continuing to go there every two weeks um, before the Vasa. Uh, each one of the Ajans will go there and uh, stay overnight, give a talk, and uh, it'll be on Monday nights. Those will be posted on our website. It's uh, been a fairly busy time at Abhayagiri in terms of our, our work scene, but that's uh, quieted down. Um, we uh, led, uh, well, I guess a war party is not a very good uh, metaphor, but something like that, sort of to demolish four of our kutis, four of our small cabins. We've been talking about that a little bit, but uh, not just for fun or pleasure, um, but we're going to rebuild four of them this year. We're hoping to, and, uh, and actually uh, not only just replace four, but build a fifth a new one. And that's been, yeah, that's been quite interesting. I was very... Again, uh, to use that word, prideful, very sort of a healthy pride around the living in the, this monastery and seeing how well um, the monastics conducted themselves, going from um, extremely quiet winter retreat um, where there was uh, almost no work going on at all, just the... Uh, for the retreat crew, they were taking care of the monastery quite a bit, so the monastics had uh, very long periods without, sometimes without work for a month at all, just dedicated to their formal practice. So uh, 
that mental cultivation, often much, much harder than physical work. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was quite beautiful to see how well people conducted themselves after being in such a quiet period and then immediately uh, moving into quite a uh, active physical uh, experience with each other. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. I think, I think if uh, for each one of us, when we just thought about what, what have I learned in that situation, there was, there was so many lessons that could be learned, whether there was you know, internal whinging or complaining that didn't, again, come out in speech, but uh, how that affected the mind or the, the physical experience or perhaps feeling scattered. These things all came up around that time. And uh, so I found it, yeah, it was um, pushing us a little bit to our limits, but uh, in terms of enduring that much work in the morning and the afternoons, but I, I found it uh, helpful to work together in, in a group, and there was a quite a uh, very pleasant, harmonious feel, I found. But one of the things I, I noticed was just uh, people's speech and uh, how well they were conducting themselves around speaking with each other, uh, or there tended to be that, that I saw. And I'm sure there were, there were times that, you know, there were some comments that might have slipped out here and there. It's, it's hard when so much work is going on and uh, for there, there not to be that mindfulness for a moment. But it is, um, yeah, it's quite a, a wonderful thing to see that <coughs> cultivating the practice uh, um, that the Buddha taught us, it, it really hones in on speech and can help so much. <clears throat> so the, the, one of the precepts we just took tonight was uh, the basis of that, that right speech that the Buddha taught was uh, the precept to refrain from lying. And then he had, um, so when, when we take the, the eight precepts or five precepts, that's, that's the primary mode of right speech is not to lie in any way. But the Buddha had also three other aspects of speech that he spoke of that were uh, part of the Noble Eightfold Path. <coughs> and that was adding, uh, not to use um, harsh speech. Uh, so like we can think of that as coarse speech uh, or, or speech that comes out of anger. Uh, and also, or frustration, and also uh, he added what's described as malicious speech, which is um, an alternative, alternative to another word, which is divisive. So the, the third, the, uh, one of the third aspects is divisive speech. So that's, in a sense, dividing, dividing people from each other. So we can think of it as the opposite of non-harmonious speech. Or sorry, the opposite of harmonious speech. It is non-harmonious speech. So it is the har harmonious speech would be speech that is aiming at concord uh, and bringing those together, um, bringing people who are divided together 
um, but also preventing those who are uh, possibly leaning towards that division from being divided. And then speech that would, would prevent um, even the, the notion of division taking place among those who are harmony, harmonious. And I think malicious is also a good word for it because it's kind of aimed at malice. It's aimed in a way towards um, the disregard for, for others' well-being that can come from division, if that's what we wish. And then the, the fourth one is, is um, probably the most difficult mode of speech to refrain from, which is to refrain from idle chatter uh, sang papalapa, so it's it's sort of like just the we can sometimes say is unnecessary speech, or sp sometimes translated as speech uh, like talking around the uh, gossip or the well, uh, talking how people would maybe gather around a well um, at times in a town, and they were gathering water, and what they would talk about at that time might be kind of useless speech. So we reflect on that as well. And for many of us who have been practicing a while, these are just obvious things for the uh, monastics here. It's just something that um, we hear a lot about. But it's, it's, it's truly like the litmus test for how our minds are doing based on uh, how we conduct ourselves with our speech. And I find it for myself, one who speaks a lot, uh, that it can. I have to be very careful. And when I'm not, then I feel the reverberations of that in my own mind. <clears throat> and unfortunately, that usually <laughs> occurs on a daily basis. Um, but but it's. I find it quite helpful because if there's if there's not a sense of that reverberation. Um, uh, what the, the Buddha would talk about is hiriyotapa, that, that sense of um, fear of wrongdoing or conscientiousness uh, or more of a, a sense of uh, healthy shame, uh, something more of, oh, I, I shouldn't have done that or that would be best for me not to do uh, in the future. That's, that's the, the concern that one wants to have. So when we can imagine that there are, are people in the world who who don't even have that concern, it's not, not so much there, or it's, it takes a lot for them to generate a concern about what they're speaking about. And so it's important that we, we get as more and more subtle as we can with how the mind picks up on this, on these, these senses of regret, or, um, or more importantly, before we, we enter into wrong speech, we realize uh, our intention and we, we stop it right there. So that's one of the, the instructions the Buddha has is we, we examine our, our intentions towards what we're about to say before we say it and while we're saying it and then after. And we want to be very careful with, um, with all of those times and and even that, that reflection that I'm talking about is afterwards, you know, it's important to kind of reflect, oh, was that, was that the best way to say it? Or um, was that wholesome? Was that helpful? So even today, I, I recognize just, uh, just something very minor, but I was, I was annoyed for a moment and, and uh, 
caught by that annoyance, and then I I said something to the community that um, that I regretted based on that annoyance, and it wasn't it wasn't uh, um, it wasn't too too strong, but it was there that it was present in my own mind when I said it. So, oh yeah, that that's not what I want to imbibe a sort of threat threat in a way. If if this happens, then this will be the result, and sometimes that's appropriate. But our speech needs to always uh, be appropriate to what's actually occurring or happening, and so um, <clears throat> that's that's the uh, that's the other key is that sometimes things are uh, appropriate in one situation and then quite inappropriate in another, and so we're also trying to really measure that and and understand that for ourselves, and it can be. Uh, it's, it can be just a, a long, very long period and learning period that takes place over a lifetime. I remember that uh, there was a time that um, I was teaching some people who were not Buddhists, and uh, and that was um, they they were questioning me why 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 should speech matter that much? It it doesn't seem to be so important, like not killing. But it's easy to, to then say, well, it's pretty easy to, to um, might not be easy, but it's, it seems to be done often that speech can be used uh, throughout history to annihilate human beings. And so just to see how powerful something like speech is to do something like that, not, not to mention just not through annihilation, but just manipulation, uh, either gross or subtle, can occur. And so this is why the Buddha really pointed to speech as such uh, an incredible importance in our practice. Um, he put it front and center uh, on the path uh, by putting it in the, the Noble Eightfold Path. And so for me, I, I see this immediately whenever there's a regret around something that's said. So one of the, one of the things that I uh, notice just not only in my own speech is that I can see it in, in others, and today I think was a very good example. Um, I was uh, just involved, while Ajahn Yanaka has uh, been gone, I, uh, I've been taking on a lot of responsibilities, and so there's certain things I um, am dealing with in the monastery that I'm, I'm uh, new to in certain ways and, and getting... Um, getting lessons pretty quickly on them. But so today was the, uh, after being told by several professionals that we need to add, uh, we need to protect our road in a way in terms of the, the, um, the side ditches uh, that are on them. What I was calling, mis not calling them correctly gutters, but they're, they're ditches on the sides of all of our roads that channel the water um, away from the roads. Uh, that we have, and they're just too deep and, and a bit dangerous for vehicles if they drive in. And so I called a fellow, a fellow who I was recommended, and he came, and I had never met him before. And he walked around with me, and as he talked, I was immediately aware of how well he was conducting his speech with me. So when he, we would, as I found that as I'm getting to know a lot of the local workers now, um, Usually part of the lingo is, oh, you know this person, and I know that person, and this is who recommended me, and oh, you know that, and this just happens. 
And um, through talking with me, after he examined what he would be willing to do with us and, and talked about it, um, he said that the person who I'm currently working with on another project is, is one of his close friends. And so um, he asked me why I didn't call him in to, to actually do this work. And I, I just told him, oh, well, he didn't, he didn't volunteer for the work. He just told me that this needed to be done. Uh, and so I, I, he's quite busy, so I, I surmised he didn't have time for it um, and doesn't have a lot of time for even the project that he's, he's going to help us on this year. And he said, well, I would feel a lot more comfortable if you t spoke to him first before you, you hired me. Because if you've been working for him, uh, with him for this long, I, I, and since I'm a, a friend of his, I would just uh, appreciate your asking him if, if uh, he'd like to do the work, and if not, then I'm happy to help you out. And I just thought how, you know, how professional and beautiful that was uh, for this man to have said that, because he could have um, asked me and said, oh, well, oh, I guess he didn't volunteer. Yeah, sounds good. So let me know if you're interested in having me do that. But he actually said he, he needed me to go to his, you know, this friend of his, and in a sense, ask permission. And that's, you know, that's true professionalism, but it's also quite, you know, it comes back to that harmony, that sense of not wanting to offend, uh, not wanting to cause disharmony between others. And, uh, and so I, you know, it was, it was quite, quite nice to, um, to kind of feel that out around, you know, that, that sense of uh, being with this person and I felt quite comfortable with him. And there were other things that he, he would talk about and how he would talk about things um, where I felt quite trusting and uh, even to the degree of how much he was estimating the charge would be and all of these things. Um, there was a lot of honesty and clarity and also a welcoming of, but you can also do this work yourself. Uh, so in all of those things, I could say, oh, this is really how speech, when it's used correctly, um, just in meeting someone else, how helpful it is just to set someone at ease, to provide protection for each other. And when that isn't there, uh, how much that sense of ease is absent. Um, and so just the day before, we were with somebody again in a, a professional situation, uh, the kind of person who's called a closer. And this was uh, buying a, uh, we were purchasing a vehicle for Lumpur to use to get to his kuti, um, and also a vehicle that'll be used by the community in the work periods. And so the, uh, the salesman uh, was, uncharacteristically more like a teddy bear, just like a very sweet, he reminded me of Jeff Bridges, sort of in the Big Lebowski, just a very tall guy with long uh, curly hair and just kind of funny and uh, very easy and pleasant to deal with. But then we were sent to a room at the, after we agreed on the price and, and this was like, it was, it was funny for me, because I, I don't think I've ever been in this situation, but uh, Tan Rakita was with me, and, and he just 
kind of said something. I can't remember what he said, like, be careful or something like that. And when we were with this, this gentleman, he, um, <clears throat> I didn't really feel uh, human when I was speaking to him. It more felt like I was, uh, you know, just um, being dealt with as an object of like, okay, like how much money can be extracted <laughs> from this object? And uh, there wasn't anything harsh, but, but there was that absence of, of uh, um, warmth, friendliness, and, uh, and you know, kindness that was coming. And so because of that, uh, there just didn't, there wasn't a feeling of, of, of like, oh, okay, maybe this is, maybe we could uh, spend money on this warranty or this whatever it was. And we did talk for a while. Um, and, uh, and then even in, the, even in the one moment when he gave a price for our warranty, and then we were talking about it for a little while, short while, and then he said, okay, well, how about if it's $200 less? And just in that moment, I thought, well, oh, that, that doesn't seem right at all. You know? So you're, you just tried to come at a higher price but you were okay with a lower price, so that means that you were trying to take advantage of me. And at that point, that was it. I thought, no, we're just, let's get out of here. And that, that's what was important to, to see, but it was quite uh, evident in my own mind, like what was being felt in that situation just based on this person's speech and his demeanor. Um, and, uh, and so that's, you know, that's, these are the kind of things we, we learn in the world, but. In the monastery, there's quite a um, there's a high bar for our own speech, and so I find encountering it in the world when I see either expressions of um, these modes of speech that I was talking about, harmonious, um, or speech where people aren't lying, so truthful speech, <clears throat> and speech that comes from from kindness towards others. Uh, or non, you know, non kind of gossiping, or or not just this idle chatter. This this is uh, it's very special uh, when to see it out in the world, and to see it also in the you know the world of the monastery. It's um, the bar is high, but but we do often encounter within ourselves times when, uh, just speaking for myself, where there's that kind of regret. It says, oh, I, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I had thought about that a little more, not been so impulsive, um, and just put a pause in before that comes out. And so, um, having been aiding Ajahn Yanako uh, the last couple of years that I've been here, um, it's, only in, it's only until recently, especially after the retreat, that I'm more tasting the kind of a sense of uh, appreciation for him and appreciation for you know what he's doing with his responsibilities in the monastery because that bar of speech needs to be held quite high and uh, if it's not it can it can uh, yeah it can taint the relationships that we have in the monastery and I'm just noticing uh, more recently after the the retreats ended that there's a lot more like need a decision on this, you know, need a decision on that. And it's, it's continuing to kind of add up. 
and, uh, and I'm getting quite tired. Um, so uh, that, that sense of speech uh, has to be much more. It has to be fore, forefront in my mind because it's very easy to say something that, um, that I, would, I can regret quite easily uh, later. And I think it's, it's also valuable, again, to, um, to, to see when we do make mistakes to then make amends and ask for forgiveness. And I think that's quite, uh, quite an important aspect uh, because we might not have the perspective of the other person we spoke to, but it might, it might uh, if it's ringing in our own minds, then for the other person we can usually be fairly assured that it might be ringing for them as well. And again, I, I, spoke, I started this uh, talk a little bit uh, with the word protection. And when we follow precepts in general, we offer a protection to people. Um, but right speech is one of those that is incredibly protective and we can feel with others that we, we are very, there's a lot of trust with them uh, when right speech is followed. And when it's not, there can kind of be a sense of, hmm, I'm not sure that I, I trust this person. And that, that goes an enormous way uh, when, we're, when we're dealing with others. Because if that, that trust isn't there, then when there's times of difficulties or, or problems, um, there's not a sense of wanting to, to sort of protect a relationship. Um, so the, you know, especially when we talk about lying, I think of all of the, the modes of speech, like if somebody says something harsh to me, that's difficult to deal with, but if they lie, um, that's kind of one of the, the hardest aspects. Um, because then when we know that people are capable of lying, uh, we don't know when that, when that can happen again. And we're not sure when, when that, that kind of lying can take place again. And so it feels, it feels uh, that uh, <clears throat> when lies occur, then that trust can be broken um, sometimes permanently. Because if we are engaging in a relationship with somebody who we believe is incapable of lying, um, and we have had a long very long-term trust in them for always being truthful, then a lie um, can have an incredibly uh, weighty consequence to it. And even if the person, um, if we ourselves lie or if the person who has lied to us tries to make amends to that situation, there will always be that, that knowledge that that lie occurred. And so that's why I think the Buddha, uh, in terms of the, the five and eight precepts, he put this, this one precept of lying as, uh, as paramount. And he even, the Buddha even said in, in a, a very short um, s statement about lying that uh, a li uh, somebody who lies um, is capable of uh, of potentially the most heinous things. And that's because, essentially, if they're willing to lie to others, then eventually 
um, someone like that won't know whether they're lying to themselves. And so therefore they become capable of doing things that even they um, wouldn't, wouldn't even think was possible because their, their, their lying can be so um, habitual that they don't recognize anymore uh, what right and wrong is. And so the Buddha really warned us around, um, around how truthfulness is so incredibly important. And in, you know, in, it's very typical in a sort of question and answer with a monk, like, well, what about these hypothetical situations where um, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely appropriate to lie, you have to lie. You, know, you have to protect somebody's life in an unjust situation where somebody else is threatening it. And the, the first answer to that is, well, uh, not to get into hypothetical you know, questions. But this, the second answer is, well, there's, there's, there's other alternatives to lying. You know, we can try to change the subject. We can do everything that we possibly can without lying um, in that situation. And that is because, uh, again, the truth is so important. And so um, there are so many possibilities of... of uh, of how to deal with uh, situations without without having to lie, that if we if we learn if we learn those, then um, we don't have to to resort to that. And I think that for people who are habitual liars, uh, people who habitually lie, um, they probably do that because it was the easiest thing that they learned. Uh, they might have learned from somebody else, but it also became something like, well, this is much easier to do, and so they. It's, it's easier to lie than follow the, the more difficult route of, of telling the truth. And so we want to we wanna kind of see that in our own minds. If there is ever a time that we're moving into any kind of um, mistruth, that we do try to um, very much remind ourselves of uh, how important it is to, to keep the truth, to keep the trust of, of others, um, because eventually we might not recognize it in our, in our own selves you know, that we're capable of lying. We can't, we can't see it anymore. We, don't, we can't possibly see the difference between a lie and telling the truth. And that's kind of frightening. It's almost like not being able to... to, uh, to you know, it's, it's essentially being so covered over by delusion and confusion um, that that one is incapable, one is therefore capable of doing very, very horrible things. And these uh, these other aspects, though, in terms of of training with with uh, harmonious speech, it's it's just so important. Again, I can find with myself that sense of of wanting to to whinge or complain about something, and the the result is then. Um, if it's about another person, then it's moving into that disharmonious speech. And again, just like something like lying, it's just easier, it's easy to move into something like that if one is complaining to, than to refrain or to restrain from it. And I, I notice in myself, if, if I ever uh, complain out loud about another person to another person, there is this feeling of uh, damage to trust not only the person who's been complained about, but 
um, the person who uh, I'm speaking to. Because just like lying, one says, oh, well, if this person's speaking to me about this other person like that, well, then what are they saying about me <laughs> to somebody else? And so, uh, similarly to, to lying, that, that kind of disharmonious speech is, um, it's very painful. Uh, as the Buddha talks about, uses the metaphor of our tongues being like knives in our mouths. And when we do not use them wisely, our tongues, then um, we cut ourselves, just like having a tongue uh, as a knife. And so we, this is the carefulness that we need to have when, uh, when we're speaking with others. And I think some of the, where this can come from is, is a confidence in watching another person use speech so wisely. And in the monastery, it's again, there's such a high bar that uh, some of us, you know, really hold ourselves to, uh, to such a high level of this that um, we sometimes can miss, uh, can miss out on either our own good judgment, but, um, but also like it's sometimes taken for granted just seeing how well some of us can, can, can use speech and, and uh, how beautiful it is to, to see it. Uh, when, you, when you live with somebody, it just becomes sort of normalized. Um, but I can think of several members of the community that are so careful with their speech that there's, there's very little harshness that comes out or um, anything that, that I see that um, is worthy of criticism. It's more, much more worthy of praise. And that, that then encourages me in my own practice, and I'm so grateful for that to have um, those, not only just monastics, but anybody practicing uh, in our community who imbibes that, that beautiful speech. And this, uh, this other aspect that I was speaking about with when I mentioned idle chatter, that's, that's one that's so easy, easy to slip into because it's not it's just much more subtle, you know, just talking to people about things that uh, may not be so important, but they may, may also not be something that really kind of is on the radar for, for being worried about saying. You know, so um, things like that occur nowadays, uh, although we don't hear it in the monastery very often, people talk about politics and um, that seems a, a pretty easy one to just label as idle chatter. Unfortunately, bringing up that, that, that topic actually can <laughs> cause people to uh, pick up weapons, um, just the, the, the notion of it. So um, the differences people feel about um, their views and opinions around, around things, around politics. And the Buddha was quite wise to really uh, say to monastics that this is not the realm for, uh, for monks or nuns. And, and he would also, I think, very much say that for anyone who is practicing his teachings. So that's why you, you probably will rarely hear a, a monk or a nun talk about uh, politics. One of the, one of the reasons that it's, it's uh, not very helpful is that it alienates people. So if you take sides against one particular 
you know, in, in our country, it's, it's like this division around two parties. There's other parties, but it's mainly these two. And uh, it's like, yeah, it's insanity. And so if, if a, a monastic were to take sides in that, then they, they really alienate those people who are on the other side who might have a potential to understand the Dhamma, but they're just shut down or turned off when they, they hear that, that taking of one side. And of course, the other, the other main issue is that it creates, it creates strong views and opinions in oneself. So in, in many ways, we, we want to try to be quite careful with our speech. And, um, and uh, for some of us, uh, like myself, uh, this is something that can be on the front burner. This can be like the primary mode of practice. And uh, I think that it's, it's quite helpful to, to think of that sometimes. If, if there's a faltering around speech or a difficulty around speech, um, and we find that that's our sort of area where, where we get into trouble, we, we feel that reverberation most. Uh, we see that we make continual mistakes that uh, we would rather have had a pause before we, we say something or we would have rather had some reflection um, and that, that tends to be a habit where there's not that pause or reflection. Then again, this, this practice around speech <clears throat> Rather than thinking like everything's about meditation, everything's about whatever you know, whatever we might put into our practice, uh, we we then really try to watch uh, our speech as closely as we possibly can. I remember in the earlier days when I was here, I was actually counting my own words, and I I started speaking a lot less, um, but then. <laughs> But then I started frustrating some of the other community members because, um, you know, I, I would I would say, well, that, you know, I didn't want to answer. <laughs> I only had a certain amount of words I was speaking during the day. So <clears throat> it's all about moderation. We, and we, if we come from an I- ideal like that, then it it doesn't really work out. So there's something in the middle that we just want to keep measuring around our own experience with our speech and, and how we use it and how it reflects on our own minds. And uh, again, as I've, I've used this, this, this kind of sense, this sort of reverberation from a bell where um, the Buddha speaks about this in the Dhammapada. <clears throat> and in one of the verses, he, uh, he says, you know, to be like a broken gong, a broken bell. And uh, after hearing this, you probably understand that, but it sounds kind of like, why would I want to be a broken bell? Uh, but he, he says, because, you know, there is no resonance when struck. So when, when, when words are said to you or, or there's harshness done to you, then there's no reverberation. And if you've ever, you know, hit... Um, a bell that, that has a crack in it, it's kind of, it's surprising. There was one in a monastery I was in that was cracked on all sides and I whacked it really hard and there was just, there was nothing. And it was, it was the oddest thing, you know, you just expect this, some sort of thing to reverberate and there was no response. And so the, you know, the Buddha talks about that as uh, 
he, he, the next um, teaching after that or saying is that the, the words will not, um, you will not retort out of anger. I think that's what it is. And uh, there'll be victory for you. And there can be through that the realization of Nibbana. And that's, uh, you know, that's what we want to kind of think of ourselves because you, know, you think of yourself like a, a bell and can ring for quite a while. <clears throat> and it, it can have that reverberation. So these are just uh, some reflections around speech tonight and um, anything that I've said that's been helpful to you in any way, then please reflect on that and, and keep it in mind and anything that, uh, that has been unhelpful or unnecessary, then just feel free to leave it behind. You won't.